guys are standing, as I go to read this, I look around. You probably walked in here feeling lonely, and there are other people in this world, and you are not alone. Um, Here's what it says in Nehemiah chapter 1. I'm going to read uh, just the first four verses. It says, the words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakala, maybe, I don't know. Uh, now it happened in the month of Shizlai something, uh, in the 12th year, uh, as I was in Susa the citadel, uh, that Hananiah, one of my brothers, came with a certain men uh, from Judah and asked them, and I asked them concerning the Jews who escaped, uh, who had survived the exile concerning Jerusalem, and they said to me, the remnant there, uh, the remnant there in the province um, who had survived the exile is in great trouble and shame. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down, and its gates are uh, and gates are destroyed by fire. As soon as I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days. We're going to get into that. Before we do, we're going to take communion together. Uh, communion, uh, uh, Nehemiah is talking a little bit and referencing, and we'll see this in a second, that God made some promises, and he's going to do some things based off of the promises of God. And so before we go into that, I wanted us to take communion together. One, as again, a reminder that we get to do this as a family of God. I know many of you maybe watched here for months and months uh, before you came and, and were in this room, and maybe you're watching online, and, and that's all well and good, but here's something that we get to do together because we're in this room, we get to take communion together. Together in this room, we get to break bread. Together in this room, we get to remember that there is a God. He is alive. He is still active. And he is coming back. And all of those temptations, all of those fears, all those anxieties dissipate when we're before the throne. And so we're going to take communion together. We'll pray one more time, and then we'll sit and talk through this. So the night that the Lord Jesus was betrayed, he took bread uh, in that top section of your cup there. He took bread, he passed it around, he, he broke it um, with some of his best friends at the time, and he asked them, as often as you get together, break this bread in remembrance of my body being broken for you. So let's take the bread. In the same way, he took the cup, he passed it around, he said, this is a, the new covenant purchased by my blood, and so as often as you get together, do this in remembrance of my blood being spilt for you. Let's take the cup. God, as we go into your word, Father, um, Father, as we talk about your word, Lord, I do pray that you would put me aside, um, Lord, in that you would speak. Um, Lord, you, Holy Spirit, you're the only one. You're literally the only person in this room that knows every person in this room. And so Holy Spirit, would you speak to every person in this room because only you can do that with your knowledge. Lord Jesus, this has to be bigger than a Sunday. Father, this has to be bigger than an hour. Because if it's not, then you're super small. But Lord, may you be bigger than any one moment of time, because you are. In your name, amen. You guys can have a, finally have a seat. Gosh, Jason, geez, okay. Uh, what do you do when you're squeezed? When was the last time you felt squeezed? If, if you were to uh, get a piece of fruit from a shop, right? They say shop the, uh, shop the outside. This is on the outside. And uh, 
And so if you were to get an orange and, and you were to squeeze it, what would you expect to come out? Obviously, apple juice, right? No, Jason, you idiot. You, I don't get paid a lot of money. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, uh, you don't get paid to tell them that, that orange juice comes out of an orange, right? But, it, but you know that. You can't change what's on the inside. If you squeeze this, apple juice is not going to come out. If you squeeze this, what's already on, is on the inside is going to come out. So when you're squeezed, what's on the inside right now that will come out when you're squeezed? There's a way to find out what's, what's inside this sponge. There's only one way to find out is to squeeze it and to find out what's inside. If I told you right now, tell me what's inside of this sponge, you would have some guesses. You would say something, if, but if I had to say, I want you to bet a year's pay that you know exactly what's in this sponge, you couldn't do it unless you were the one that put substances inside of it. But if you want to find out what's on the inside, you can squeeze it and you can find out what's on the inside of said sponge. So that goes back to this question. You get squeezed in life. What's on the inside? What's going to come out? The last time you were squeezed, what came out of you? Was it, I was squeezed, whether it's my own, some of us, it's our own doing, we're going to be, let's, we were in a church, we're honest here. Sometimes the last time you were squeezed was because you did something bad, bad, no, no, right? Sometimes we're squeezed because we're in America and there seems to be plenty of squeezing going around and this, the, but the culture that we live in squeezes uh, the Christian. Uh, sometimes it is uh, the wrong of somebody else leads to a squeezing of ourselves. So whatever the case might be, the last time you felt squeezed, what did you do? Did you step back and flee from the fight? Did you step into the fight? Last time you were squeezed, did you, did you start to blame shift? It's that person, that person, that person. It's all their fault. Or did you take ownership that was yours? Last time you were squeezed, were you bitter and unforgiving? Or did the spirit of God get a hold of you and you went to forgiveness? We're in the book of Nehemiah. We're, we're in this series called uh, Starting Over. This is, this is such a critical book, but, but you have to know the history uh, of the book and what was leading up to this. This is the Jewish people. This is the nation of Israel. They, they went from Egypt where they were slaves. God miraculously took them out and brought them to a wilderness. They went through a wilderness, but there were promises that these people were hanging on. They were given to, the, uh, given to Abraham that there would be land and there would be a nation and they would multiply and, and, and this promised land type thing. And so they get to the promised land and all is good. But within the promises, like, hey, if you obey me, this stays good. And if you don't, you go bye-bye. And there was prophet after prophet saying, y'all going a little crazy. You're going to be exiled was the word they used. You're all going to leave this land. And so check it happened. They didn't turn from their wicked ways. And whether it was Babylon or Assyria, uh, they were gone from their land, exiled away. But then there was this promise, hey, if you turn to me, if you repent, there will be a remnant that comes back to the land. Well, under Zerubbabel, that, that started to happen. People started to go back, and, and the hub of it was the, the, the city of Jerusalem. That started to happen. Good, hey, check. We get, we get a little bit closer. And then there was Ezra. That's right before this book. Oftentimes, these books are together. Ezra, this is, he started to build, rebuild the temple. He came about 12, 15 years be, before, uh, before Nehemiah. And so he started to rebuild the temple. Check, hey, we're getting a little closer. Now there's a spiritual side. But then Nehemiah, with the section that we just read, he sees, hey, the walls are still down. We're not quite living in safety, which God had, had referenced. And so he feels squeezed. 
It's a spiritual squeeze for his own people. So we're going to look at what he did and how he reacted. How do you and I react to a squeezing that whether it's our doing or not our doing, either way, how do we react? Let me read these first few verses uh, just one more time. He says, the words of Nehemiah, the son of that person, uh, now happened in the month of that, that month, uh, in the 12th year, uh, as I was in Susa the citadel, that Han and I, one of my brothers, came with certain men from Judah. And I asked them concerning the Jews who escaped, who had survived exile concerning Jerusalem. Nehemiah asks the question, and they answer, the remnant there, the province who had survived the exile, is in great trouble and shame. And the wall of Jerusalem is broken down, and its gates are destroyed by fire. Nehemiah feels a squeeze for his people, and how does he react? As soon as I heard these things, These words, I sat down and I wept and I mourned for days. This broke me for days. This is the year about 445 BC. We can can deduct from what it's saying in this text that it's roughly the month of November or December. What's important for you and I to know is that uh, Nehemiah is serving King Artaxerxes, a very powerful historical king, and it was under his leadership under his command in the book of Ezra, that Ezra records that the walls were being rebuilt, but King Artaxerxes says, stop rebuilding the walls. So it was the king's command that these walls were stopped to be rebuilt and now they sit in ruin. And so Nehemiah hears these things. Shame, disgrace, why? Not only because the walls are physically down, because there's a spiritual element to it. The walls are down because they sinned and God had to keep his word and remove them from the land. And so they are removed from the land and the the walls being torn down stand as a reminder of what they did in in history. You and I have those types of reminders that we would love to get rid of, wouldn't we? And so Nehemiah sees this and and he goes to a place where he, what was his reaction? To weep and and to mourn for how many, for how long? For days. When I just read you, those first three verses, four verses took me, what, 2.5 seconds? So he heard like two, three, four sentences, and what does he do? He weeps and mourns for days. You and I maybe have weeped and mourned for days, but it was, we got that phone call that rocked us. We lost a job, something something of that nature, but Nehemiah hears something of his people, and it breaks him for days and days and days. So here's what I want us to see through this passage. We're going we're to be in chapter one and a little bit of chapter two. I want to see, see, that, see that God meets broken people. When you and I are broken over a situation, God meets broken people in broken situations. And that in that moment, that, that when there is a broken situation that is breaking us and when our, our heart is aligned with God to see it as God sees it, that God meets us in three unique ways through that. The first way is through prayer. And so now remember, Nehemiah is broken over this situation. You've been broken over a situation before, and maybe you prayed a a prayer like, God, if you get me out of this, I promise. (laughs) Okay, this is not Nehemiah's doing, but you'll see an element of that too in here. As you think about a broken situation, I want you to really think about, for a moment, we'll, we'll talk about it, 
how Nehemiah is praying over this broken situation. Here's what he says. We're going to continue on. Wept and mourned for days, and I continued fasting and praying. Wasn't a one-time thing. Before the God of heaven and said, O Lord, God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps, uh, who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commands. Let your ear be attentive and your ears be open and hear the prayer of your servant that, I, that, that now I pray before you day and night. Not a one-time thing, but it's, it's, it's constantly. Uh, for the people of Israel, your servants, confessing the sins of the people of Israel, which, which we, 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 he's, he's part of this. We have sinned against you. Even I and my father's household have sinned. We have acted very corruptly against you and have not kept the commandments and the statutes and the rules and the commandment of your servant Moses. Remember the word that you commanded your servant Moses, saying, if you are faithful, I will scatter you among the people. But, we like big butts, right? <laughs> okay, you guys know it. But if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, though your outcasts are in the outermost parts of heaven, from there I will gather them and bring them to the place I have chosen to make my name dwell there. There, they are your servants and your people. God, these are your people. Uh, whom you have redeemed by your great power and your strong hand, O Lord, hear and be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight to fear your name and grant success to your servant today and grant him mercy in the sight of this man. Now you hear a prayer like that, and if I heard a prayer like that, I'd probably say the same thing like you. I'd probably be like, oh man, I wish I could pray like that, <laughs> right? He's crying out. He's moved to days of praying and fasting. Y'all, some of us have never fasted. And before we even get to this level, we need to start with just A level. <laughs> we need to go to like what breaks me and will lead me to a 24-hour fast where I don't eat food. This guy's doing it for days and for days. He goes to, he goes to a place where, where he's talking to God. Now he's having this conversation and he starts with a place of adoration. God, you're awesome. Heaven, you are great. Yeah, that word adore, I adore you. Uh, he, he speaks of how awesome God is. God, you're attentive. You hear me. You're, you're going to you do something here. And then from a place of talking about how awesome God is, where does he go? He goes to a place of confession. If you want a do-over or a start-over, <laughs> confession's a great place to start. <laughs> it should be the first step in the process, right? And so he goes to a place of confession, and he's talking about the people. Yeah, we didn't keep your commands, but did you catch that part? He, he mentions himself. Lord, I'm part of this problem. Lord, I'm, I'm, in the, I'm in Susa. Like, I'm part of those people that didn't keep your commandments, me and my household. Nehemiah didn't ask the question. He got an answer. And what a humble man to say, I'm part of the breaking down of this relationship. And then he says the famous but. It's a good but. He says, God, we've done wrong but I'm asking something off of your promises. You've promised something. And so I'm asking you to remember that promise. I'm gonna, uh, uh, you're, you're not, I don't have to be afraid to ask, but I'm going to ask anyways, Lord, please remember your promises. And, and as he ends this, this, this prayer, he, he mentions two things that to me, you have to really understand the character of God to say these two things in the same prayer. God, I'm praying for mercy that I do not get what I do deserve, 
And God, I'm praying for success. You really have to know the character of God to be able to pray both those things in the same prayer. God, we deserve what we've got, but God, you've also made a promise. Would you please help me move forward in the promises that you've already made? I'm asking you to do what you've said. I had about four months ago, uh, it was uh, beginning of September, and I remember Ava and I really, really, really wrestling uh, and yearning and breaking over our kids. If, if you're a parent, you, you've been there. And uh, I have two boys that are in middle school, and, uh, and one of them was feeling a little bit anxious about it and kind of struggling with uh, middle school. And uh, if you are, uh, I don't know, maybe 39 plus one, you can remember uh, that middle school was fun for no one. Uh, no one looks back and says, you know what the greatest two years of my life were? Middle school. Kids are awesome, right? Like, no one says that. You go from being a cute elementary kid to a turd, and then you kind of figure out how to handle being the turd for the rest of your life. And so uh, just a bunch of turds try to figure out life. And so I have two turds that are in that, uh, kids, I mean, that are in that process. And, uh, and so they were feeling like, man, like, kids are going to say this, they're going to do this. And, and Ava and I, like, I don't know if you've ever said this to your kids, but like, hey, we've been there. Like, you all know, like, we were in middle school one time, too. Y'all know we were in high school one time, too. Like, you ever say that? Okay. Well, and they don't care like your kids don't care. Uh, and so, like, Ava and I knew, like, there was nothing for us to say, nothing that we could say to help them. They didn't want to hear from mom and dad. And so we prayed. Uh, and that's not to sound super spiritual. It was like, I don't know what else to do. And so Ava and I prayed and fasted for 24 hours, and we ended our time of prayer and fasting uh, by taking each kid one individually and walking to their bus stop uh, and praying over their school year, praying, over their, uh, praying for their classmates, uh, praying for their teacher, walking them to the bus stop and back, and that's how we concluded our fast. And what's great is uh, I can tell you right now uh, that my kids all have straight A's, uh, and that uh, they have no issues this year, uh, and that the principal, each of their three principals, called Ava and I this week and said, you guys should write a book on how to parent. Uh, now, none of that is true. Uh, my kids uh, still have issues, like your kids have issues, uh, but here's what it did. it did. So it didn't necessarily change the circumstances, but it did change our focus. <laughs> and it did change, Lord, we are submitting to you this school year. Lord, this school year is yours, and for Ava and I, these kids are are yours. We're just asking that they grow and learn character along the way to be more and more like you every single day. What I love about this church is that we have a group of elders that do this every single month for the family of God, that we reach out every single month to the, to the partners in this church, uh, and we ask them, how can we be praying? And then we take 24 hours to pray and to fast and to pray over people by name, uh, and, and then we break our fast at our elders' meeting. That's what the family of God should do, right? The family of God should have uh, prayer as their highest agenda item. The family of God should be breaking over things of the family of God. The family of God should be concerned about the family of God. And so when was the last time you were kind of butthurt over a situation? <laughs> what was it? Do we have the deepest concern for things that are God's deepest concern? Or was the last time like we were really bent out of shape, it was like, when my team missed the playoffs or when my team lost this game or when, I don't know, you lost to the youth guy in ping pong and you wanted to shove your ping pong paddle through. You get what I'm saying? <laughs> what breaks you? And that should be a sign to us of are we aligned with God in that breaking? 
Here's where it goes. Now we're going to go into the uh, last end of chapter one uh, and into chapter two. So we have prayer. Uh, God uh, meets broken people in broken situation. He meets us in prayer. But then there's also this meeting of petition. The last part of his prayer was, and give success to your servant today and grant him mercy, mercy and success in the sight of this man. What was, uh, what was Nehemiah's position? I was the cupbearer to the king. That's very important. In the month of Nisan, this is about four months later, uh, in the 12th year of King Artaxerxes, when the wine uh, was before him, I took up the wine and gave it to the king. And had I had it not been, uh, I, now I had not been sad in his presence. And the king said to me, why is your face sad? Seeing you are not sick. This is, uh, there, this is nothing but sadness of the heart. Then I was very much afraid because those kings in those days, they can kill people on a whim. And if they don't like what, if they're sniffing something, they're going to kill you. And so I was very much afraid. And I said to the king, let the king live forever. Why should I not be, why should my face not be sad? Uh, when the city, notice he never says Jerusalem, the place of my father's graves lies in ruins and the gates have been destroyed by fire. Then the king said to me, what are you requesting? Ever be in those moments where you're like, Lord, I need you. And then you just got to keep on going. <laughs> he kind of throws up that quick prayer. Lord, I need you. So I prayed to God of heaven. And I said to the king, if it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in your sight, that you send me to Judah, to the city of my father's graves, that I may rebuild it. And the king said to me, and the queen sitting beside him, how long will you be gone and when will you return? We don't know what he said, but we know that it was good for the king. So it pleased the king and to send me. Uh, and when I had given him a time, uh, and the king said, uh, and I said to the king, if it pleases, hey, can BT dubs, can you do a little bit more? Uh, if it pleases the king, let letters be given to me and to the governors of the province beyond the river that, uh, that, that they may let me pass through until I come to Judah. And let the letter of Asaph and the keeper of the king's forest that he may give me timber to make beams for the gates uh, of the fortress of the temple and for the wall of the city and for the house that I shall occupy. So Nehemiah, he's, he's a cupbearer. And a cupbearer is like, uh, he has great influence with the, with the king, right? You know why? Because the king was like, if I'm going to get poisoned, somebody else is going to die before me. Uh, and so let's go, okay, you, you taste my food, you drink the wine, and if you don't die, I'm good. I'll eat the meal. And so the cupbearer, who does not want to die, would have a lot of control and influence on how the food's getting prepped and how it gets to him, and he would know all that. But he also had the ear of the king. And because he had the ear of the king, he could actually receive money from other people <laughs> that said, hey, I want you to mention my name to the king because you have great influence. You had, your you had the king's trust and influence. But Nehemiah, does he first go to the king? No. He first went to the king of kings and the Lord of lords. <laughs> Even though he had influence with this king, he went someplace else first. And how long did he go? Four months. Four months he's praying and waiting for this God-given moment. Now, you and I can look over a situation like that. We don't understand maybe the calendar that's being talked about, but that is four months. Four months ago, it was 80 degrees. It was September 15th, 80 degrees. Your kids just went back to school. You were still singing Jubilee, this is great. Like everything was groovy four months ago. Your team still had hope to make the playoffs. <laughs> we want things done in an instance. We want to pray, we want a more God, come on. Like 
I, I'm like one of five people that will fast and pray, but God, like I'm one of like two people that will fast and pray for days and, and weeks and all these things. Like God, shouldn't you do something right here and now? We would never say that, but come on, we live like that, right? We want it instantly, especially when we're being so, so holy. Four months, that's 122 days. That's like 175,000 hours. Or something like that. Oh, no, 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 like 3,000 hours. Eh, math. It's like 175,000 minutes. And if you want something done in a moment, you're praying and you're fasting, you're like, God, I want it done this second. That's only, that's over 10 and a half million seconds waiting and waiting and waiting for God to do something. And he goes before the king. He's sad. The king's like, what's up? He's like, oh my gosh, if the king feels like I'm up to a plot, if I'm up to something, if he's sad because of, like, if, if I don't have a good reason for this, he can kill me if he thinks something is up. And so he quickly says, king, no, 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 like live forever. King, no, like everything is good, but here's the situation. And so then the king says, well, what do you, what do you want? Oh, quick prayer, God, I need you. And then he says something. But know what Nehemiah didn't do? The king did not say, hey, well, what do you want? Well, hold on one second. No. Right away, Nehemiah's like, well, this is what I need. I need some letters. I need some timber. I need some help. I want to be gone for this amount of time. Nehemiah had a plan. So Nehemiah was praying and planning, and he knew what to ask when the time came. He was already in position to do that. And so Nehemiah gets this, this, this permission from the king to go and to, to do something. Are you planning and praying, and are you willing to wait four months for something? When I was, uh, right before Ava, I was dating a girl who was good, but just not good for me. Uh, my parents weren't big fans. My dad made that real clear to me. He's up here. He can tell you that story. And, uh, and so like, I was like, I need to go find myself. And so I go down to, to Liberty. Uh, and I'm still living like a train wreck, but just really trying to like fight for God. Um, but still living like a train You've been there where you're kind of like trying to do both and it's like not working, but you're kind of trying to figure it out, right? And uh, I, had, I, I had gone after girls in so many different ways. And I was like, I really want this next one to be, to be the right one. And, uh, and so again, still trying to figure stuff out. But then it just so happens that I'm praying. And uh, journaling and saying, God, like, I'm really trying to be the man of God. Like, God, are you going to send me somebody? And, and that same day, uh, Ava was at American Eagle meeting my parents for the first time. That's a story for another day. About, like, I get to know Ava. And I was like, but I want to do things, I want to do things uh, differently. I, I don't want it to be the same type of relationship that I've always had. And, and, and so I started asking God, like, God, show me. But I was kind of already planning, like, how I would try to make this relationship differently because before it was me chasing girls. This time I wanted to kind of chase God and let them say like, hey, catch me if you can, if you will, and like chase God with me. And so I was talking to Ava about that. And we we're like, uh, yeah, you remember when we went to see the movie Narnia? <laughs> yeah, real cool first date, Jason. And uh, oh, and then, hey, remember when you brought Michael, uh, who was like a very spiritual guy, a good friend? And I was like, yeah, I brought him because I wanted his opinion of you. Uh, and he, she was like, huh? I was like, yeah, okay. And, uh, and then I was like, hey, remember when I went to church and then came to work and, and gave you a devotional and, uh, and, and the sermon for the day? And she's like, yeah, remember when you took me in the back room and interrogated me? And she kind of said it with that, like, I was like, 16 years later, am I in trouble? Like, what is like, like, you interrogated me? And then like a second later, she's like, but I passed. And I was like, what is this? Like, I'm talking about a sermon thing with you and you're all like puffing your, okay, anyway, 
my point being, I had chased girls a different way, even though Ava and I were still trying to like find ourselves a little bit there. Uh, I found in a girl, uh, somebody that loved Jesus, and the rest is, as they say, history. So what are you willing to pray on and wait on? And what are you willing to not try to pray on and then manipulate? What are you willing to try to pray on and then not go to a place where you compromise? What are you willing to pray on and let God's timing work God's timing out? Maybe you're praying for that new job and you've been praying for two months and you get all sort of impatient and now you're saying, you know what? I'm gonna start talking crap on the other employees so that I look like the one that should get the promotion. Or, hey, I, I, don't, I wanna look good so instead of talking crap, because that, that wouldn't be very Christian, right? I'm just gonna start talking over them in the meetings so that it looks like I have the loudest voice and the, and the boss will give me the promotion. Or what you could do is you can pray and you can wait and in the waiting, you could work on your own character and you could go to work every day, be the best employee that you can be and you don't need that promotion because you could have all the money in the world and if you don't got Jesus, you die poor. Amen. And you, could get, you, might, you might get that promotion, but the richest person in the world when they die is the person with Jesus. And so either way, you're good Amen. and you can just trust Jesus. Here's what happens, and I think we kind of know where this is going. Here's the last verse of what we're looking at today. And the king granted me what I asked, for the good hand of my God was upon me. Nehemiah looks at the situation and says, it was God, it was God, it was God, it was God. Like, I'm here one day, all of a sudden, like, I've been chewing on this for four months, and all of a sudden I wake up, and the king sees that I'm sad, and we have this conversation, and by the end of the conversation, the king says yes, and now I'm going to start building this wall. He says, it was all God, it was all God, it was all God. <laughs> because God answered the prayer with a yes, and now he's moving forward. If I can tell you one more quick story, because it's something that we talk a lot. If you've been around this church, you know this story. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell it 35 more times before this year, uh, because it's just a moment where we knew that when we were starting this church, it was God, it was God, it was God, it was God. And so we, were, we got money from Bayside, we got um, uh, people from Bayside, and that was good, and, and God's moving, and we're starting this church, but we're like, hey, we need, we need a little bit more money. And a church from New Hampshire, where my parents go to church, they said, hey, why don't you come up and ask our missions team for money? And they were like, yes, every day, yes. And so we, we, we were praying about it, we fasted about it, and we created a proposal sheet to give to their missions team asking for $30,000. Now, to put that in context, $30,000 is more than we currently have in our missions budget. So if somebody came to me and asked for $30,000, I would say, <laughs> I said, go someplace else, okay? Uh, in love, in Jesus' name. Uh, no. Uh, and so, uh, so $30,000, it was, we were like, so, like, I was so nervous. And so we're at my parents' house. We were gonna, I was gonna work out in the morning. Then we we're gonna have breakfast at the Purple Finch. And then we were uh, gonna go to church. And then after church, we were gonna have a, a meeting with this missions team. So I go down, I work out, I come back up, I'm all sweaty. And he was like, Jason, what is God telling you? I said, I need a shower. I don't know. No. And she said, no, 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 God, like, what is God telling you? And I was just like, nothing. Uh, and, uh, and then she's like, we need to ask for more money. <laughs> I was like, well, more money, right? I was like, be gone, Satan. We're going to get laughed out of this room, right? And she's like, no, we need to ask for more money. So I kind of like just prayed on it for a second. And then I like got myself ready and I came, I came back and I was like, okay, we'll do this. Uh, we'll ask for $50,000, but we need to make sure this is of God. We're not going to get laughed out the room. Uh, and so uh, we went to, to breakfast and, and, and we had said, here's what we're going to do. We're going to pray 
And if this place, I have a very particular omelet that I like with very particular ingredients, and I've only found one place in New Jersey that has all the ingredients to my omelet. If this place that we have never been to has all the ingredients to my omelet, then we will take this as the voice of God, and we will ask for $50,000. And we made two different proposal sheets to, to give out, right? And so we go, we ask for my omelet, and then we just kind of pierce this lady down like, oh, what's going on, right? And she said, yes. So Ava and I smirked. We presented them the proposal with 50, a $50,000 ask to this church that doesn't know me from Adam, right? And so they just know my parents. And then a few days later, they get back to me and they said, Jason, uh, you know, you asked for $50,000, but we're going to commit to three years and $15,000. $45,000. We were so close, God, so close, right? And then they said, but we, we have an offering at the end of the year and we'll give you a percentage of that offering uh, towards the end of the year. And I just sat back and I smiled. I was like, you I didn't say this to them. Uh, uh, but I was like, you don't know this, but that's going to be a $5,000 gift. I can guarantee it. And at the end of the year, they gave us $5,000. And so three years, $45,000 and a $5,000 gift, $50,000. Because you wait on the Lord and you put things in his control. I've learned in, in now many years of ministry that when I, God is asking me to surrender, he's also asking me to trust. And so we have a value here called daily surrender. What do you need to do every single day to say, God, this is yours. I need to stop trusting people. I need to stop trusting money. I need to stop trusting that. I need to give this area over to you. Well, that area that you need to give over is an area of trust. We don't trust in people. We don't trust in buildings. We don't trust in money. We don't, I've learned we don't trust in those things. I can't trust in that as, as a leader. David learned that. David had money. David had people. David had buildings. But he also said in Psalm uh, 20, he said uh, this, uh, some trust in chariots, some in horses, but we trust in the name of our Lord God. They collapse and fall, but the wise stand upright. So that thing that's, that's breaking you right now, what are you going to do about it? Do you trust money to be the fix? Mm. Do you trust people, another person, another relationship to be the fix? Do you, do you trust yourself to be the fix? Do you trust the right school to be the fix? Do you trust the right job to be the fix? Do you trust the right promotion to be the fix? Or do you and I just need to take a lesson from this whole section and what David said here too and say, my God's the, the fix. I trust my God no matter how this turns out because for you and I as a Christian, it always ends good. <laughs> Maybe not here, but forever it does. <laughs> and so we said broken, uh, God meets broken people in broken situations. We see a meeting through prayer, through petition, uh, through petition and through provision. And so that goes, again, goes back to this question of what is breaking your heart? What breaks you? When you think of your family, when you, when you think of your job, when you, when you think of all of these situations in this life that could break you, what breaks you? And does it break God's heart as well? Is there, is there a moment where you're like, wait, we kind of need to realign the breaking with God? But let me go a step further. If what breaks you, if what you're thinking about right now is breaking you, what are you willing to do about it? Because I hear plenty of people complaining about politics, but I've never heard anybody fast over it. I've never heard of anybody fast and pray for President Biden, ever. I've never heard anybody pray and fast over that situation you're complaining about on the city council. I've never heard anybody pray and fast. You get what I'm saying? And so what breaks us? Are we willing to break to the point where we're going to pray and fast, not do a meal for 24 hours and give this really over to God? 
And if there's something in your life and you can't, maybe, maybe you can't think of something right now. Maybe you're like, hey, life is good. Uh, I don't, I, I, Jason, you're, you're asking me to kind of consider praying and fasting. I got nothing to pray and fast over. Well, as a church for the next two and a half months, we are fixated on trying to help the homeless community. And then after the next, and then uh, in like April or whatever, we'll shift to another focus. So maybe it's that. I've never heard of anybody praying fast for the homeless. I'm sure it's been done, but maybe consider that. And so that's my challenge to you. I'm challenging you to give up a meal for 24 hours to pray over something that you think would break the heart of God and ask, how can I step into this? And to keep praying. And if God asks you to pray and to fast, maybe not directly for four months, but, uh, but to give this over to prayer for four months, would you do that? And so tonight, I invite you to the gathering to eat your heart out. <laughs> All the empanadas. We're going to have a ton of empanadas there. And apple pie. And then we're going to pray and fast this week as a church, potentially over the homeless situation. And then together we'll pray Wednesday night at the church at 630 together over these broken situations.